Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is fully funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 4,000 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We are pleased to have you join us this season for our winter edition of It's Time For You. With over 65,000 listens on our podcast, we thank you for joining us. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Nigel Brown to the podcast to talk about sheep diseases. Nigel is a fourth generation vet from the United Kingdom and has worked in over 30 countries. Nigel currently works as a vet for the local land services on the Northern Tablelands of New South Wales. In addition, he has worked as a livestock service manager for MLA in the Middle East and Africa, overseas aid in Yemen, has rehabilitated gazelles and oryx in South in Saudi Arabia, sorry, and established an RSPCA mobile wildlife unit for washing oiled wildlife after the Gulf War in Saudi Arabia, and also worked in Man- Mongolia on a United Nations project. Welcome, Nigel, and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. My pleasure. Nice to be here, Fiona. Thanks so much for inviting me. Nigel, we have so many sheep in New South Wales at the moment, and it's a challenge if we're going to cover off on the potential risk to all those individual animals. So I thought we might start off by just talking about diseases in general on the podcast today. So you're a local land services vet, as I said in the intro. How do you go out in the field and classify diseases? Look up. I get most of my inquiries from producers talking about syndromes rather than the particular cause of it. So I get might get a call for ill thrift like Saturday afternoon, for instance, or well, Saturday morning or, 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 or abortions or sudden death. So I look at them and talk about them in that terms. But from a veterinary perspective, I actually also talk about the the type of disease, whether it's it's going to be an infection or a deficiency, hereditary disease, whether it's one of those physiological upsets or or even poisoning. And always as an LNS vet, I'm thinking exotic disease, notifiable disease, whether it be foot and mouth, Ah, rip belly fever, blue tongue, or indeed screw worm, which is it, which is something that occupies my mind for all sorts of reasons. So, when you get phone calls, when when do you know if you're going to have a problem, and how do you go about going through the steps to diagnose that? What information do you gather from the farmer, or what information should they have ready if they're going to call an LLS vet? <laughs> So really what I'm what I'm doing is when I get my original phone call from a producer, I, I'm asking a few basic questions just to get it in my mind's eye. 
and and, and that's sort of the, the the setting on the property because I, I may not have been there before or may not know it intimately and also about the case history of that sort of um, that particular disease and, and that all fits in really into into a sort of a diagnostic pathway or a, a flow chart if you like um, and so the first pieces of information that I'm getting are all stuff that the producer knows himself and can give me before ever I get there. So depending on on how much time I've I've spent on the phone beforehand, my mind sort of runs through, as it were, while I'm driving to get there, the sorts of things I might be looking at. But well, that's obviously influenced by am I talking about live animals, dead animals, or or what have you? You just spoke then about exotic diseases. What sort of what what process do you go through, Nigel, if you get an exotic disease on a farm? What does that mean for producers? What are the implications? Look, the implications are, are not just for the farmer, but for the whole country. We obviously, as everybody listening will be aware, produce far more meat and live animals than we can hope to consume in Australia. So we have to export our product. Importing countries don't want our diseases. They want good, healthy meat. So if we were to get something nasty like a foot and mouth one of those other ones I mentioned into the country and what's going to happen is there's going to be a, an immediate cessation of trade until things are sorted out so what are we talking about we've got BSE in South America and I think in UK as at the moment as we're speaking they've just identified cases and they're bound to have had ramifications on trade the, 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 the um, African swine fever that's come through has put an immediate halt on, on people wanting Chinese pork. So they are importing protein from us and other countries. So the ramifications of that are, are not just on the property. But if you'd like, we could just discuss what goes on for an individual property owner. I think that would be great insight, Nigel. So let me get, just as an example, uh, only about 10 days ago, um, I got a call from one of our local vets who I, I, I work with closely, and, and they sent me some pictures of, of a cow, in fact, but it had a horrible ulcer in the mouth. And, and I didn't go, I looked at the picture, we discussed the ramifications, but we felt that we needed to voluntarily or get the owner's consent to voluntarily put the place in quarantine while we took samples, raced them down to the, the DPI lab at Camden and confirmed that it was not foot and mouth disease. There had been no uh, suspicious contact. There was only one animal in their small um, mob of sheep, cattle, llamas, alpacas, um, so we didn't think it was very likely, uh, but we put a stop on them. So they they totally agreed, and and we made certain that the two people that went uh, were to, onto the farm every day did not go anywhere else over the few days that it took to get the test 
two, less than two days in actual fact. And, and so we were then able to release them from that without anybody other than the vets ourselves knowing that they were even in quarantine. But for these diseases, it's imperative that we pick up the earliest, earliest, earliest possible case because if there were a case and we have so many thousands of animals on the road going through sale yards, the spread across the country would be catastrophic if we delayed only 24, 48 hours before we actually thought, oh, wow, maybe we ought to send a sample in just to be sure. So nothing went wrong with this one. Everything was right. We got the results and we all had a clear conscience. But it's good for, for us, for the owners and for the vets all to see how the system works. Yes, yeah, so important to be vigilant there, Nigel, and wonderful to have the support that we have from our local land services vets like yourself. No, thank you. Yes, I, 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 I think it's great. I've worked in lots and lots of different systems, and I really, really do like the LLS system. I first met it in Bombala with the RLPB and, and thought it was great then, but I think we have so much to offer, not only in the way of, of information with with vets far, far more knowledgeable on some of the things than I am but but also we can do help with training and and extension activities really really super oh and we'll touch on that before I let you go today but I'd have to agree even us personally you're our local land services vet and it's wonderful to have you on standby if we're worried about something and you've certainly helped us out many times so if we've spoken then about live animals, what happens if we have dead animals? We do see um, a number of cases of dead sheep all at once, although it's not very common, it does happen. Could there be a number of causes? How do you work out what's going on when you've got dead animals on the ground? Uh, absolutely. So what what we call a differential diagnosis is, is a list of all the possible things that could be causing, say, let's say, sudden death. So I think there's something like over 30 odd causes of, that, that it could be. So if I've got that, I always think that every owner should, should take every advantage of that carcass. And if prices are down so you can't sell the fleece and, and what have you, do a post-mortem, open it up and have a little look. And, and you can get so much information from that. So if you've got an outbreak, then you really need to get somebody in as a like myself, who, who's experienced to be able to see the fine details. But if you've got one dead animal, open it up and, and see. It'll give you information, for instance, on, on your liver fluke status. Anybody can open up the liver and, and see whether there's little liver fluke in there or whether there's scarring. Have a look at the gut content. See whether the intestines are healthy or whether they're red or inflamed. It, what are the lungs like? You know, I mean, I was just reading over the weekend, Joan Lloyd's little article on 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 mycoplasma and, and the changes in lungs and the losses of 
of, of sheep and product because of the infection that's there. So if we do a post-mortem, we can look at a lot, a lot of information. But for me, um, if I'm trying to increase the number of producers who, who will do post-mortems, I say, Possibly one of the most important things to take along with a knife is your phone so you could take a photograph and send it to me. Nigel, in a webinar that you joined me on recently, we had lots of questions from the audience, which was fantastic. But one of the most popular things that people were talking about and wanted information about was how to receive training for a post-mortem and what you should consider and I, I suppose how to get help. And you've just mentioned there the mobile phone and that's great advice. If people actually want training, is it the LLS they can go to and it's one-on-one -on -one or is there group training? I believe it should, it, it's LLS that you, you should approach. Um, group training is always kind of difficult because you've got it to get pathology, which is what we're talking about, uh, you don't get it on tap. And if you start freezing carcasses, etc., then you've got the ice and the thaw and the rot. I find it's very much a group thing if I can go to a property. So the chappy I went to Saturday, sort of around lunchtime, uh, early afternoon, he, he, the animal wasn't dead, but he said, oh, I've, I've watched you do couple before. If it dies tomorrow morning, I'll open it up and have a look. It was a, a crook round. And, and, and so that's great. He's prepared to have a go and I've chatted through with him. I've been on properties where sons and daughters and the whole family gathers round and I keep trying to say, you can have a go. I think it's very difficult to organise group sessions in advance, but I'm quite happy to to do group sessions with local groups of, of producers, you know, ring their mates round off, I'm just going to come and do something. Not that it happens very often, but it, it has happened. But I think I'm not a great one for moving dead carcasses of unknown disease status from one place to another because you've then got all the biosecurity aspects of, of that going on. Um, you can move, I do do them at work um, at one of our offices um, where people will bring them in on the back of a, of a truck or a ute. But um, in general, often it's it's something where I like to look at the live animals on the property as well. But it does, there are cases I'd, I'd rather do a post-mortem in an office um, than not do one at all. Nigel, you just mentioned pathology then. So can farmers, if they find something interesting, is it? would you advise that they collect a sample? And if so, yep. how would they do that? And what are the storage options? Yep. So in, in, in general, if it's a one-off one, and that they 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 can either um, storing is usually in a in a chiller, so you can put a, put um, the pathology into a bag. So the lungs, for instance, put those into a bag and put them in the chiller, so we can have a look. Just looking at the distribution of lesions in lungs can tell you a fair amount about what the sort of cause is going to be. There are a few things that you that you need to be very careful of, however, because for instance, if you've got a carcass that's that's lying there and there's blood, and I mean blood, blood, 
um, not just pink froth, but red blood, black tarry blood oozing out of anus, nose, mouth, e even teats. That could be anthrax. And, and so the last thing you want to be doing is moving back around the place. And so you've really got to take a bit of knowledge of the, the science behind what you're dealing with so that you're not creating more problems. Um, and it's one of the risks of, 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 of producers doing stuff themselves that they, they miss out the strategic and critical steps um, that could create more problems. So it is it is a question of working closely with your vet, but not everybody's close enough to the vet for the vet to be able to down tools and be there within within an hour. Sometimes there's large, large distances to get there. And this is where remote um, contact mechanisms like we had to have in Mongolia, where you could you know, I'd get pictures from all over the place there. Um, where, where was was really great training, but it's it's a, it's a, it's a partnership of working together, uh, not in competition, as far as I can see. We're so lucky today with mobile phones, all the smartphones out there, the cameras on them are phenomenal. So you'd be able to get some wonderful feedback straight from the farms as well. A absolutely. I mean, I had one chappy. Oh, few months back now, he he um, he rang me up to say he 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 got these these uh, lambs and, and they had like testicles on their neck and and so I said, testicles on the neck and I take send me a picture I like to see testicles on the neck well because when he sent it um it literally were, were, was the thyroid glands that were so large they'd almost formed and they weren't the largest i'd seen but they'd almost formed like a, a testicle a scrotum on the neck you know and and, and, and so just by doing that uh, we were able to really hone in very quickly so that he could uh, he could put in place some supplementation for iodine deficiency Fantastic. Nigel, um, we talk disease prevention's better than the cure. So when we think about the gold standard, uh, it's so important to have a good biosecurity plan in action on your farm. What should producers consider when they're assessing the risk of disease to come up with their biosecurity plan? Look, I think that goes back to the fundamental aspects of how and why does disease develop and for me there seem to be the three critical elements it's not unique to me we i think most vets were taught that at uni um, and that's the, the 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 agent that's causing disease the the animal and it's it's innate characteristics its sex its age etc and the third thing is the environment in which the sheep and the agent find themselves. There are some diseases that will only affect one particular sex or the other. You're not going to get, you know, orchitis in a in a ewe. You're not going to get some of those mineral, those uh, metabolic disorders of lambing ewes in rams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Fundamentally, if I know, as I do, that I'm living in an area where selenium deficiency is a major problem, selenium can be an 
underlying factor in so many diseases because selenium is involved in many things, but as growth of animals, there's also immunity. So if you do not supplement your animals appropriately with selenium, then by definition, they become deficient. And if they are deficient, their immune status falls, and then they are so much more likely to go down with other diseases, which healthy animals are not going to go down with because they've got plenty of good solid antibody activity so that is is just a critical component of this intricate pattern of of why diseases develop in the first place so to me your underlying aspect of prevention is to identify your environmental issues before ever you go any further because if you can improve those situations which are going to be pretty standard excuse me on your property albeit there's rain and sun and and stuff like that which we can't control but at least we can make adjustments even in the feeding that's going to be available because of that environment because of weeds that are growing for instance if you know you've got this particular weed st john's wort right um that, that that's that's around here i was plucking some out of the, the the lawn yesterday when i noticed it was there that that can cause major liver problems photosensitization the last thing i want my sheep going down with is some of that so there's a whole raft of things to identify what are your problems what can you do to correct those before you go on to look at the finer detail of specific germs that you may have met before? And once you have that in place, Nigel, can it last a few years or should we, we be reassessing our biosecurity plan more often? I think we should re reassess it every 12 months, to be honest. I think if if we can find a place for it in a routine program, we should be checking our RAMs at least a couple of times a year. But we have, a, for so many of us, we have a cycle that covers a 12 months with our animals. But if you've got, as I, I'm just reading it, an art letter here today from somebody, they've got some issues going on because they're, they're lambing twice a year um, and they've got some different issues. You go through a, a cycle, reassess what went right, what went wrong. Th these are living documents that the problems that, that we face just don't stay the same. Um, and so I think we should at least be doing it every 12 months. And, and I believe that LLS's role is very much to help producers to identify issues. What do they think has gone right, has gone wrong? Is this necessary or is this more of a chore? I get people coming to my office here and we just sit down, have a cup of tea and chat through. Doesn't take very long now for some of them because we we do it on a regular basis and, and I, I think that's that's what I personally would would recommend. And you've hit it there when it's a local land services vet. It's in the title. They're local, so it's so wonderful to have you there and you can know what's going on the ground across the whole of 
the area that you may be coming from? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I, I know I don't know much about lots of the other areas of the state or indeed the, 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 the country where I, I've, I've never worked and I don't know the fine detail uh, like I know it around here. I've only been here six or seven years, so I'm still learning. But when I think of some of the other places I've worked, you know, it's, I could talk about, let's say, Mongolia and the, the problems of sheep out there, where a lot of people who've never been there wouldn't even have any idea. So, so local knowledge, yes, is vitally important. Before we wrap up the podcast um, today, Nigel, I'd just like to change focus and talk quickly about nutrition. In the webinar you joined me in recently, we spoke in depth about nutrition and disease, but one thing that kept arising in question time, because most the producers were really interested in it, was mineral nutrition and the different methods of delivery. What should producers be thinking about this season when it comes to minerals? Look, uh, for me, at, the, at this season, the critical ones are having salt, lime, egg lime and magnesium oxide cosmag out for their animals. The salt is the big attractant because there's actually a demand in sheep for salt, but rapidly growing grass, especially if there's been um, um, fertilizers put on there, will actually grow so rapidly with rain and sunshine that it seems almost to outgrow the roots ability to pick up the magnesium so that the, 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 the sheep become deficient in the blood for the magnesium. And, and to a certain extent, the same with calcium. So while they have plenty of the calcium and magnesium in the bones, especially the older animals, aren't so good at getting it back into the blood. And the, the chills, the dampness, actually can be enough of a shock to the system to drag that blood level down to the point where they're clinically crook, they go down with grass tetany, they go down as slow lammers, so they're not going to be pushing out the lambs. The lambs are going to die inside. We're going to potentially run into prolapses. So if you put out lots and lots of small pots around the, the paddocks where they can get some of these crystals, one to one to one salt, lime and cosmag, that will almost completely prevent that from happening. I say almost. We know that some people have put out licks, but my colleagues around the state have said, despite having commercial licks, they've still run into the problem and they've reverted to that mixture. And that seems to have, have, have controlled it. The other one that I think, again, and I mentioned selenium, the selenium that mothers give to their lambs, if it's adequate, uh, and that means that the mothers have to have been supplemented in lots of cases. If it's adequate at birth, it will only last about three months. So then you'll get what we, we tend to think of as a weaner ill thrift, where these young weaners are just not growing, they're not thriving, they've got squitters, they, they look mucky, dirty as if they're wormy. But in fact, you top up their selenium levels 
and and bang goes the the infection because the the germ the body itself recovers against this low grade infestation and that probably is the other one that I would be I would be looking about around here I think we I've mentioned iodine because the the leaching with the rain the moisture that we've had uh, is 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 likely um, to have precipitated that, and, and I had a ginormous one the other day, uh, 198 grams for the for the thyroid, absolutely monstrous big lump on the neck of this lamb. The flock was getting commercial licks, but not all sheep eat those commercial licks, so it didn't get any. The, the lamb was dead, and which is why the owner brought it to me. So I think those are the are the, the, the the issues and the importance of minerals. I think if I could just finally say going on, but sheep get a lot of their minerals from the soil by the soil that they eat when they're grazing. And if the pasture is tall and long, by definition, they won't be eating so much dirt. So that's going to aggravate uh, mineral deficiencies, I think. Nigel, 198 grams is huge. How much does a normal thyroid weigh? Uh, we should really be looking at probably something like about five, 10 grams each. Uh, so we're really, really, really monstrous. There's, there's calculations that you can do for the weight of the lamb um, and the weight of the thyroid to give you about two and a half percent, I think it is. But 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 this is this is this was monstrous. Yeah, well. One last question before I let you go. We're underway with a particularly wet spring throughout most parts of the state, and summer's looking like it's going to stay that way. What particular challenges should be producers be looking out for this year? Pretty much the same as every year. Uh, worms and clostridial diseases um, and and they there is no way around this I, I, I've moved now almost completely to recommending uh, that my producers around here do their own worm egg counting because they can get a much more accurate hold on the worm levels that they've got by testing before to see if the animals need worming, and then by testing 10 to 14 days later to see that the drench that they have used, if they've used it, uh, is really critical to knowing just where you are with the worms in your, on your property. And I think the other thing that I, I'm perpetually surprised at, but perhaps I'm not perpetually surprised, because I see it so often, is producers who do not use vac clostridial vaccines effectively. The lamb gets antibodies from its mother in the colostrum in that first few hours of life. That's going to last up to, let's say, 10 weeks of age. I've had many, many cases. I had one middle of last week, chap rang me up. Um, no, it's Friday. That's right. And, it, and it, he rang me up and said, look, I've got these lambs. I just marked them a few days ago um, and I've now got these ones lying down on the ground. Their heads are back. They're twitching, saliving, salivating, saliva at map. 
said, what could it be? I said, when did you vaccinate? And he said, oh, they had, I just did it at the same time as I marked them. I said, well, when did you vaccinate the ewes? He said, I haven't marked them since last year. I said, well, I think that's tetanus. It sounds like it. You, you should really have done the vaccine beforehand because it, once you put the vaccine into the animal, it's going to take 10 to 14 days for the antibodies to build up to an effective level. Whereas it's only going to take a few days, as proven by that case, for the, the spores of the tetanus to explode open and burst out. And then the poisons are created by those germs in the animal and it's going to die. So the vaccine hasn't got a chance to kick in. So you've got to get that timing right, which is understanding the whole scientific basis of what vaccines are and, and, and how long it takes and what happens to the, to the antigen, the, the foreign body that gets in there. So the body reacts against that uh, foreign body that, and, 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 and removes it through a whole load of cellular activity and actually engulfs these foreign bodies and breaks them down. But then it stimulates the immune system to remember that this is a foreign body, so that when it meets the same foreign body again, the cells that have been created remember this as a foreign body, and they're already waiting to multiply very, very rapidly and get ahead of the bacteria or whatever foreign whatever foreign body it is that are going to then create disease problems. So it's again, it's the science that that is really critical to understanding for good, effective biosecurity. So all our, all our to-do lists for this season are to vaccinate, check our boosters, and start our worm egg counts nice and early. And I would suggest learn to do postmortems. That's some good homework for all our listeners to take home. Thanks, Nigel, for sharing your knowledge today with everybody and for joining me on It's Time For You. My pleasure, Pierre. Thanks for inviting me. Good chat. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au. Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.